When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her married marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival, according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. 
but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Good. Please do have Luke open in front of you so you can follow along again with the story here. Thank you to all who have been involved in the service today. It's been really, really encouraging to see lots of people sharing things. Uh, I hope you've been encouraged too. And yeah, it's good, isn't it, to come together um, around God's Word uh, and continue our series today. So let's do that. We're, we're looking at Luke chapter 2. So please have that open. Good. Now one of the uh, new bits of admin you have when you're a new parent, uh, probably one of the ones that I enjoyed most was going to the town hall to register the births. Uh, I was in London, I'd, I had to find this town hall in a place I'd never been to before uh, and go there and meet with someone to confirm all the details. Uh, I really wanted to sneak in some extra middle names, uh, maybe some Star Wars related or something like that. So I sneak them into the birth certificate, but I didn't think I'd get away with it, I didn't want to risk it, but I, I really wanted to. But in some sense it was easy for me, I could leave Pippa uh, and the kids at home uh, it's much harder for Mary and Joseph, isn't it? Because they bring little Jesus with them to the temple to consecrate him, to offer the sacrifices that they, they were supposed to be doing. And when I was doing my sort of baby admin, no one was coming up to me and saying, oh, you know, saying amazing things about my, my children. I think they're amazing, but no one else really said anything about them. And yet here in this passage, several times, people say amazing things uh, about Jesus. Why? What is so special uh, about this child? Uh, well, if you've been with us the last few weeks, uh, running up to Christmas, we've be, begun looking at Luke's Gospel to find out why, to find out what makes Jesus so special. Uh, we've done that over Christmas, haven't we? We've thought about that, that amazing story once more, the true story of Christmas, of angels and virgin birth, uh, of shepherds and angels rejoicing. And in some sense, quite humble beginnings for Jesus. And yet completely different, completely unexpected. Uh, not a, nothing, anything but ordinary. And actually that continues as he grows up. We see today that he is a child with a difference. A child with a difference. Uh, really what's happening in this passage, Mary and Joseph are just doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, they're going about their business, doing, doing what they need to do. So in verses 22 to 24, they go to Jerusalem. They go to the temple to, to offer some sacrifices. Oops, sorry. Uh, offer some sacrifices for Mary's purification after she gives birth. To consecrate Jesus to the Lord. These were things that were there in the law in the Old Testament. Uh, and that's what they did. They did what they were supposed to do. Actually, if you, if you were here when we were looking at Exodus, we saw something of that. All of the firstborn children, all of the firstborn animals were set apart for God. They were consecrated to him. It was a reminder of God's rescue. And that's still happening. However many hundreds, hundreds if not thousands of years later, in Mary and Joseph's day, they're still doing that. They're still faithfully following God's law. And they also go to Jerusalem each year for the Passover. We see that in verse 41. They were supposed to do that. That's what they did. Uh, and yet as they do these things we learn some amazing things about Jesus, about who he is, about what he had come to do. So we're going to use that as our framework today. We're going to think about what this teaches us about Jesus. Uh, and the first thing this morning is uh, that Jesus is the answer to God's promises. 
the answer to God's promises. Let's look again, shall we, at verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So as Mary and Joseph come into the temple, this man is waiting for them. Simeon, a good, faithful Jew, following God's law. God's spirit is with him. And he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's a bit of a weird thing to be waiting for, isn't it? It just means he's longing for God to come and rescue and restore his people. That's what he's longing for. And God promises him, presumably through the Spirit, that, that he would see the Messiah. You've got to wonder, haven't you, how long was it? How long was it for him to wait and wonder, maybe hovering around the temple thing? Is, is today going to be the day? It's a little bit like when you're waiting for a parcel and you're not sure when it's going to be and you kind of don't want to leave the house in case you miss it. At last, the day is here. And there was no chance he was going to miss it. The God leads him right to the right place, right to the right time, by his Spirit. And he takes Jesus in his arms and praises God, rejoices that God has kept his promises. He uses lots of language from the Old Testament, particularly from Isaiah, as he celebrates, as he praises God. This child is salvation. He is a light to the Gentiles. He is the glory of Israel. Basically, this is... The, this is a new thing that has happened. A new era has it, it, it's come. When anyone can be saved. God's people, not just the, the Jewish nation, but Gentiles and everyone, thanks to this new child. That must have been amazing for Mary and Joseph to witness and those, those there. And we, we see, don't we, in verse 36, that Anna, a prophetess, a, a very old prophetess, 84 years old, who, who lives in the temple and worships God all the time, what a wonderful example she is. She hears about this child, she hears who this child is, and she does the same. She gives thanks, she goes and tells everyone the good news, everyone who's, who's waiting for the redemption of Israel, waiting for God to come and, and keep his promises. They're both filled with praise and thankfulness because it's coming true, because God is keeping his promises. I think it's really hard for us to truly understand how significant this was for God's faithful people. They've been waiting 400 years for this moment. 400 years. I mean, we can't imagine that, can we? We, uh, we don't have to wait for anything these days, really. But can you imagine that? I don't know, growing up, you're a small child and your parents say to you, we're waiting for God's promised king. He's promised he's going to come. And the years go by and nothing happens. And your parents die and then you tell your children... We're waiting for God's promised king. They tell their children, you die, still nothing. And they tell their children, who tell theirs, who tell theirs, still nothing. It was a really long time. 20 generations, they estimate, 20 generations in 400 years. So many people living and dying 
and not seeing this promise being answered. It's amazing, isn't it, that Simeon and Anna and others, that they hadn't lost hope, that they were still trusting that, that God would come. And they are just so thankful, so amazed that the day was here, that, that, that it was all happening. So hopefully that's something for us to, to think about, isn't it, and, and realise for ourselves. It was incredible for them way back in time, but it should be incredible for us too. I wonder if, if, if that is your own response. Are you filled with praise and thanks today because of Jesus? That's Anna and Simeon's response, wasn't it? Almost the only possible reaction that they could find to, to seeing God's promises answered, to see that salvation had come. Is that our reaction as individuals, as, as a church? I think it's so easy for us to become a bit, a bit numb to this news, isn't it? We've heard it so many times before. We don't, we're not stirred in the same way as we should be. But we've got to pause and just think, just think about the difference that Jesus makes to our lives. Because Jesus came, we can know that we are loved by God. Because Jesus came, we can be part of God's family forever. Because Jesus came, our sins can be taken away from us, no longer considered removed completely. Because Jesus came, there is no more condemnation, there is no more guilt, there is no more shame in our hearts. There is salvation and hope and love and joy. No more doubts, no more fear. Because he came. He came for you and for me. We don't deserve that. That's probably why we struggle to accept it sometimes, I think, because we, we just can't get our heads around how, why God would do this for us. And that's why we should never lose sight of how amazing it is, isn't it, that, that Jesus is the answer to God's promises. That's why we want to respond in praise and in thanksgiving. Actually, why don't we just pause and do that for just a brief moment. Let's just have a moment of quiet, reflect on God's amazing love, on his promises, Offer him some praise and quiet and then I'll, I'll pray. Loving Father, we do praise and worship you today because you keep your promises. You sent your Son to save us. Would you thrill our hearts with that news? Would you, you fill us with joy and thanksgiving? Would you help us to praise you because of all that you've done for us, because of who you are? Would you help us to, to follow in the footsteps of Anna and Simeon and, and, and offer you all the, the, the praise and thanks that you are worthy of, that you deserve. Fill our hearts, we pray, Lord. Amen. So joy and thanksgiving and praise. But there's another thing I think that actually we can, we can see here. Let me ask you a question that's a, slightly, that's a slight change in tone. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to die? Why am I asking you that? Well, let's look again at what Simeon says. Now, tradition says that Simeon was also an old man like Anna. He'd been waiting a long time. Actually, it doesn't say. It doesn't say how old Simeon was. Maybe he was 80. Maybe he was ill. Maybe he was on his deathbed. 
Maybe he was younger. Maybe he still had years to go. And yet look at what he says in verse 29. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Whatever happens next, he's ready to go. He's ready to to, to die, to go in peace. His longing has been satisfied. God has kept his promise. He doesn't need anything else. He is comforted just by the sight of this child. Whether it was one more day, whether it was ten more years, he was ready to go. Because he knew that God's promises were true. I wonder if we can empathise with that at all. Is that how you feel about Jesus? That, that if you know him, you don't need anything else. That, that you can go in peace. Uh, I was eating with Pippa once and we were having a nice meal and she was saving the nicest bit till last. And I was eating the nicest bit of the meal first. I was getting it, you know, I was enjoying it. And she said, why, why aren't you saving that? Why, why is that not the last thing that, uh, that you eat? And I said, well, what if Jesus comes back before the meal's finished? I'll have eaten it. <laughs> it was a bit flippant, a bit of a foolish thing to say, perhaps revealing my heart, thinking not, not wanting to miss out on good things. I wonder if you can see a, just a similar thing there in, in your own hearts, that, that actually maybe there are things we want to do before Jesus comes back, before we die. Are we longing for him to return or are we kind of think, thinking, actually, it's kind of all right if he holds off a bit longer. Or maybe we think, I, I can't, I couldn't die now. I've got so much to, to still do. Steps forward in my career. I want to have a family. I want to have a, a husband or a wife or, or have children. I want to, to, to get a bigger home or I want to, to retire and enjoy that. There's lots of good things, aren't there, that we look forward to and we live our lives but they're not ultimate. We don't ultimately need them. We need to see Jesus. And I think it's just really refreshing, isn't it, to notice Simeon's attitude here. He longs for God. He longs for, for salvation here. And that's, that's all he needs. Isn't that something for us to strive for this coming year? Longing for Jesus above everything else. And if we see him, if we know him, that genuinely nothing else matters more. Can we say that for ourselves? Are there things we need to to look at in our hearts and and maybe correct the kind of priority we give them? There's a verse where the Apostle Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can we say that for ourselves? That to live, we live for Jesus and actually to die is going to be better for us. It's a gain because we're going to be with him forever. That's, that's challenging, isn't it? I think often we, we, we have lots of things that we enjoy in this life. We think, do I really want to go yet? I'm not sure. So that's something for us to think about, isn't it? As we come to a new year, as we maybe make resolutions or think about the changes we want to make in our lives. Surely the biggest one is, that: have I got Christ in his top priority in my life? Do I put him first? Is he, is he everything I'm longing for and, and, and seeking after? Am I satisfied in him? Am I satisfied in all that he's done for me? In how much he loves me? Have I put anything in his place that I need to get rid of? Can we honestly say that we're ready to die because we know Jesus? It's a challenging thought perhaps. So Jesus is the answer to God's promises. We also see here that he is the Father's Son. The Father's Son. 
Uh, verse 39, we see Mary and Joseph going home. They've done what they're supposed to. And they're just, they're, they're, they, they go home again. It's wonderful, isn't it? They're faithful, kind of ordinary obedience. They are uh, looking after Jesus, but they're just doing all they need to do. And it says the years, you know, the years go by and Jesus grows up. He's filled with wisdom and filled with grace. And we don't learn anything about Jesus until 12 years later. When he was a 12-year-old boy. As they go home from the Passover festival, it just all seems to go wrong, doesn't it? Have a look at verse 43. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now, if you've ever lost a child in a busy place, I'm sure you can empathise with Mary and Joseph here. Maybe just that awful sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach, the the panic, the the, the fear. They've lost Jesus. (laughs) That is really terrifying. Oh, it's such a... A real thing. I think that's something that maybe we can understand how how it could happen. Even stay, I, I could imagine it happening. We had a big family gathering over Christmas with lots of people. We went to a hotel for a meal, and if our kids are a bit older, I could imagine them, you know, hanging out with their cousins and just hopping off in someone else's car to get back to the grandparents and all that. And that's just assuming that they've gone with someone else. And I can imagine it happening. I'm sure maybe you can too. And yet, for for Mary and Joseph. Three days. Jesus was lost for three days. Can you imagine the agony and the the lack of sleep and just the anxiety they were experiencing as they searched for him high and low? Maybe all the places they'd been to during the festival, where could he be? Well, let's look at verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for me for you. Why were you searching for me? he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? They did not understand what he was saying to them. Amazing, isn't it? We get this relief, I guess, in some sense, from Mary and Joseph, and yet this confusion. How could you do this to us, Jesus? Understandable, isn't it? From from a mother who has searched high and low for days on end. Was Jesus disobedient here? Had he, he, you know, done something wrong? Well, the text doesn't suggest that because we know that Jesus was perfect. We know he never sinned. He did not disobey Mary and Joseph. They just didn't realise he wasn't with them. And yet Jesus' response is so different, isn't it, to what we might expect? His priorities were different. Verse 49, he he had to be in his father's house. There's an emphasis there in the text. He had to be there. He knows who he is. He is the son of God the Father. No wonder that everyone was amazed, right, at his understanding, at the answers he was giving uh, to the teachers at the temple. This depth of wisdom and knowledge and understanding from a 12-year-old boy. Jesus knew why he had come. He had come to 
do his father's will. And that meant that, that his relationship with his earthly parents, with Mary and Joseph, was almost somehow less fundamental than his relationship with his father God. And he had come to please his father first. He had to be in the temple. He had to be with his father. He's like, surely, it's almost like he's saying to them, don't you know me? Of course this is where I was going to be. You didn't need to search anywhere else. This, this was the obvious place. Now his parents don't understand what he's saying, I guess. Who could at that stage? There's lots more to come in the gospel. We'll see that. But for the Son of God to come to earth, what a staggering thing. Verse 51 is great, isn't it? They, they go home together and it says, Mary treasured these things in her heart. That's what we need to do when we come to the Gospels. We need to, to treasure them in our hearts. We need to chew them over. Think about who Jesus is. Think about what he has come to do. Think about how we really know him. Do we really know him? Maybe that's a helpful challenge for us too as we start a new year. How well do we really know Jesus, the Son of God? Do we kind of just have our own expectations of, of who he is, of what he had come to do, and kind of read our own things into it? Or do we know him as the Bible teaches? Do we spend time with him, getting to know him more deeply, reading his words, seeing his amazing responses to people, seeing the deep love and compassion, seeing the challenge that he, 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 he says to, to others? He is the Son of God. He is the Lord. And what he came to do, no one expected. And that's my final point, actually, that Jesus is an unexpected saviour. An unexpected saviour. Let's just go back a bit to Luke chapter 2, verse 34. Because there's more that Simeon says, actually. Verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Uh, I don't know if you, you know anyone who just somehow always seems to come out and say the wrong thing, uh, especially when there's like a little baby involved. When, you know, when we had our twins, every now and then someone would come up to us and just say, what's her name? Like, uh, his name is Nathaniel, his name is Micah. And it was just a bit awkward. I wonder if you know people, you know, they just think, I'm not quite sure what they're going to say next. And you just get a little bit of that, don't you, with Simeon, because he goes up to Mary and he basically says, look, this child's going to break your heart. Who's going to say that about this new, lovely, beautiful baby? He says, a sword will pierce your own soul. What was he thinking? Well, he was, he was giving us a glimpse, actually, of what Jesus had come to do, of how he was going to do it. Jesus came not just to liberate the, the Jewish nation from the Roman occupiers but to save people from all nations and that's what he does he comes and teaches the truth and heals the sick and you know, we'll see as we go through Luke exactly what Simeon prophesies here the rising and the falling of many not what they were expecting at all a few, a few chapters on in Luke 5 Jesus says to them it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The least in society, those who you didn't expect 
were really drawn to Jesus. They, 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 they couldn't get enough of his love and compassion and the grace and mercy they were shown as they came admitting their sin. They were, they were raised. And it was the high end society, the leaders and the, the priests, they were the ones who more often than not spoke against Jesus and revealed their hearts to be evil and rejecting of Jesus. And it's like they were, they were falling from their high position. And it all comes to a head, doesn't it, when Jesus is arrested and treated brutally and then crucified. And who was there looking on as her dear son is executed on the cross despite his innocence? His mother, Mary. She was there the whole time. And maybe it was that moment when the spear was thrust into the side of Jesus. Maybe that was that moment that um, Simeon said, you know, there's a sword in your own soul too. The agony she must have experienced as she witnessed those things. But the shadow of the cross, it hangs over Jesus' childhood, even right at this, this moment. Simeon's basically saying that this child is born to die, to save sinners like us. This is God's way of salvation. This is where we find hope and light and, and, and life. And it comes at huge personal cost and sacrifice and pain and anguish for Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross to, to pour his love out for us. That is amazing. Her soul would be pierced at that moment. But I think later she would understand more of what it meant for Jesus to come. How it had to happen like that. And what a glorious day it must have been for her when Jesus rose again. Her son, the, the risen Lord of all. What a glorious moment that would have been for, for her and for everyone involved. That's what we're just getting a start hint of that. Right there in, in chapter 2, Simeon reminds us why Jesus has come. To be an unexpected saviour, to cause the rising and falling of many. And that happened then and it happens now. Jesus reveals the thoughts of our hearts. He knows who, who, who amongst us is too proud and too stubborn to accept God's grace. He knows who will humbly accept their sin and how inadequate they are and how they can't do it on their own and, and they'll come to him for forgiveness and life. If you're not a believer, please, please don't be that person who refuses to come and see who Jesus is. How he has loved you beyond anything. Please consider him. Please give your life to him. But even for, for those of us who are believers, we need to remember this truth, don't we? Because it humbles us. It humbles our proud hearts. We can fall into a, a tendency to kind of think, well, am I really bad enough to need all of that? Surely, you know, Jesus didn't have to die for my sin. It's not that bad. We've got to see these things. We've got to realise the only way for us to be saved was for Jesus to, to come and go through all of that. That should pierce our souls, shouldn't it, too? Our sin should grieve us. It should shock us. It should appall us that, that the things we have done meant that the Son of God had to die. It was our sin that led him to the cross. And somehow he, he willingly came and he went through all of that to save us. Just look around. Look around at each other. To save us. <laughs> he came to do that. What an amazing sacrifice. What amazing love. 
and mercy and grace. We've got to realise that again, haven't we? That the depth of our salvation. That's what changes our lives. That's what unites us. It means we don't have to kind of earn his approval anymore. It means we don't need to fear his reaction to our ongoing sin. We are loved completely. We are forgiven completely. And we live joyful praise. Uh, we live lives of joyful praise in, in response to that. We grow in faith in response to that, in God's power. So there you go. The little that we know about the early years of Jesus, I hope it's enough for us to rejoice today, to live thankfully this new year uh, because of who he is, of what he came to do. I hope it's encouraged you to, to go home praising God for his great love for us. When I pray that that would be the case, that this would be a year for us uh, of joyful worship because he is the promised one, he is the son of God, he is the unexpected saviour.